Here's the senior pastor of Gospel City Church, Trent Griffith. In the Gospel of Mark, the first recorded words of King Jesus are these. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, because I am here, the kingdom is here. I'm the true and better king. You don't have to keep trusting in the Solomons and the Davids and the Rehoboams and the Jeroboams that never seem to get it right, that always have their hearts divided, that love other loves and worship other gods. Jesus is here and he says, guys, you've got a choice. You have to respond to this kingdom. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, senior pastor of Gospel City Church in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. Well, I don't want to start on a real downer, but this is the reality. All of us are failures. Nobody has it together on their own. Can we agree that left to ourselves, we're all colossal flops? To put it in the verbiage that Trent Griffith uses on the program today, all of us oversee kingdoms that are crumbling. I don't know where you see the symptoms of that in your life, but if you're honest, they're there. Thankfully, Pastor Trent will share the solution with us today. Here's Trent Griffith, continuing in his series, Epic. Solomon's kingdom began to crumble when Solomon's heart began to crumble. The kingdom became divided when Solomon had a divided heart. And we're gonna find out that there were actually seven signs when your kingdom starts to crumble. How's your kingdom doing this morning? Well, here's the first sign your kingdom's about to crumble. You love more than one lover. And this was a warning sign that things were about to go incredibly, epically bad in this kingdom. The second sign your kingdom's about to crumble is this. Your heart turns away from the Lord to other gods. That's what happened to Solomon. Look at verse 4. And when Solomon was old, sadly, he did well as a young person, and he was very foolish as an old person. And when he was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. And so we have to make sure that our hearts are not turned away to other gods with little G's. Little gods with little G's can steal your heart. And if it does, you know what's going to happen? Your kingdom's going to crumble. Here's the third sign your kingdom's about to crumble. You reject the counsel of older men. Go all the way down to the end of the chapter here. Verse 43 is the last verse in chapter 11. And so things are starting to unwind. I mean, it's going downhill. And we finally get to the end of chapter 11. Verse 43 says, And Solomon slept with his fathers, and Rehoboam his son reigned in his place. Now, I got to make sure you're, you're following along with me here. Catch on here. You got to follow some of the details of the story or it's not going to work for you, okay? So, who was Solomon's dad? Answer, King David. King David has Solomon. Solomon's son is Rehoboam. Rehoboam now becomes the king of Israel. Everybody got that? So in chapter 12, we're introduced to another character. I want you to see it in verse 3. And they sent and called him, and Jeroboam and all the assembly of Israel came and said to Rehoboam. Time out. 
Jeroboam was one of the construction project managers for King Solomon. He was a faithful, hardworking dude. And so when Solomon's dead, Jeroboam is glad because Solomon was a hard guy to work for. So Jeroboam seizes the opportunity and comes to Rehoboam and makes an appeal. That appeal is found in verse 4. Here's the appeal. Your father made our yoke heavy. Now, therefore, lighten up. Lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. In verse 6, we read that King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men. He called a committee together. Hey, what do you guys think we ought to do? In verse 8, we found out what he did. But he abandoned the counsel that the old men gave him and took counsel with the young men. Good news or bad news? Bad news. And so he goes and listens to the guys that he'd grown up with. And I don't think they were actually that grown up at this point. But um, he'd grown up with and stood before him. Down in verse 13, we'll find out his decision. So he's listened to the old men. He's listened to the young men. Verse 13, and the king answered the people harshly, forsaking the counsel of the old men that had given him. And he spoke to them according to the counsel of the young men, saying, my father made your yoke heavy. I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. I don't want to be disciplined by a whip or a scorpion. Both sound bad, but I don't, don't add scorpions to the whips. What did he do? He rejected the counsel of the old men. The old men said, lighten up. They'll serve you. They'll be better. They'll produce more for you. But he rejected that counsel. Here's the fourth sign your kingdom's going to crumble. You use people rather than love people. We've already read it here in verse 14. He said, my dad disciplined you with whips. I'm going to discipline you with scorpions. Why did he do that? Because he thought it would work. He really thought the way to motivate people was through pain. You need, a, you need a little more sting in your step. I think Rehoboam sincerely wanted to be a good leader, but he made the fatal flaw that leaders make. He realized he was responsible not just to lead people, but to love people. He realized that it was a tough job, and yet he didn't understand that as a husband, as a parent, as a teacher, a coach, an employer, a boss, or a pastor, you've got to care for the people in your charge. Even if it's harder for you, you have to care for the people God has given you to lead. And if you don't, they will rebel against you. They will rebel against you. As a matter of fact, look down in verse 19. It says, so Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. Did his motivational tactics work? No, it pushed them further away from him. Again, having all these life action teams in the building, we've been having a great time getting to know um, each one of them. It's, it's, the, the guy playing the electric guitar up here, his name's Hudson. I traveled with his mom. Okay, so I'm, I'm getting old and, and all of this, but it was brought back all kinds of memories. I remember with Hudson's mom and I in 1990, 
23, being on our first Life Action team, I did not sign up to be a singer in Life Action. And you have to understand, back in the day, um, Life Action wasn't as cool as it is right now. And I was back in kind of the era where Life Action was learning that uh, electric guitars can be ordained of God to bring great worship. And so uh, uh, this was back before, it was more like eight-part harmony to accompaniment tracks and look-alike outfits in formation. And uh, that was not cool. And, and, and yet, three days before I joined Life Action, I was going to be the youth revivalist and teach teenagers and all that on the road. And three days before I, I came, they said, we need male singers. I'm like, well, I don't. I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm coming to serve. I'll, I'll do whatever. And so I didn't realize that it was going to be like 12 hours a day rehearsal of the same song into uh, the, the eighth month on the road. And so the problem with that was that our particular music director, who shall remain nameless in this illustration, uh, the, the music director had a leadership style much like Rehoboam. He brought whips and scorpions to the rehearsal, okay, to try to motivate us to sing better. And I remember this one particular rehearsal, um, one of the guys on our team, he just, he, he's, he crossed his arms and he said, I'm not singing. And the rest of us said, well, if Eddie's not singing, we're not singing either. And so we sat down and, and the, the leader came in. He's like, no, you're going to sing. He's like, Eddie said, we'll sing on one condition. If you can tell us one thing we've done well this year. Because it had been eight months and there had not been one compliment about any degree of anything we had done right all year long. You understand as a parent, as a coach, as a husband, as an employer, you have to care for the people under your care. It is not about your kingdom. It is about God's kingdom and God loves these people. And the only way you're taking them with you is if you if they sense that you love them in the process. Here's the sixth sign your kingdom's about to crumble. You value control over unity. If you'd rather maintain control than maintain unity, you're going to lose both. And that's what happened. Listen, every leadership responsibility is weighty. Look down here at verse 20. When all Israel heard that Jeroboam had returned, they sent and called him to the assembly and made him king over all Israel. Now, don't miss what just happened. Do you see what just happened? The kingdom just split. The kingdom just divided into two different kingdoms. North and south. We had King Rehoboam that was king over the whole thing. Jeroboam makes the appeal. His appeal is rejected. Jeroboam rebels. He takes 10 of the 12 tribes and becomes king of those. Now we have a divided kingdom because of the rebellion. He said there was none that followed the house of David. In other words, nobody followed King Rehoboam but the tribe of Judah only. So what we have here is we have this divided kingdom, all because Rehoboam was more concerned with maintaining control than he was with maintaining unity. And this is what leadership does. If you've ever felt it, um, this is what it does. Leadership exposes your weaknesses. I, I thought I was a really good leader until I planted a church. And do you know what's been happening for the last eight years? The pressure and the responsibility of the leadership exposes your weaknesses. And everybody sees it. Nobody would even know what my weaknesses are if I wasn't your pastor. 
I don't know what your weaknesses are because you're not my pastor, but if you were my pastor, I would find them. <laughs> I'd see them. They'd be on display for everybody to see. So when that happens, you have two options. And, and I'm not just talking about as a pastor. You, husband, parent, coach, leader, business leader, you have two options. You can either acknowledge that this responsibility is far beyond your capacity, or you can act like you're not weak and cover and hide and pretend to be something stronger than you are while everybody else laughs at you because they see your weakness. And do you know what Rehoboam chose? He chose to maintain control rather than to maintain unity. And so he tried to manipulate the people and force the people to follow him. And you know what he lost? He lost both control and unity. If you want to maintain unity, do you know what you have to do? You have to admit the responsibility is too great for you. You have to hold your kingdom with an open hand, realizing if God wants to raise up another leader, I'm fine with that. It's God's kingdom. He can do whatever he wants to. If he wants to use me, I'm, I'm, I'll show up. If he wants to use somebody else, I'll hand it over to somebody else. That's what a leader that wants to maintain unity does. He values the contribution of others. He empowers others to lead. He wants to raise up people around him that may be even stronger and smarter than he is. And if you want to maintain the unity, you have to keep the main purpose of your kingdom in front of the people. Not keep your agenda in front of the people. That's the only way you can make sure everybody's pulling on the same side of the rope. Otherwise, everybody's going to be pulling in opposite directions and the kingdom's going to be crumbling and the promise is going to be divided. This is what it looks like. And I found this awesome hieroglyphic over in Israel to bring to you. So here you have Rehoboam in the south, two tribes using one name, Judah, The northern kingdom is now going to be referred to as Israel. That's under Jeroboam. And I want you to notice the capital of the southern kingdom is Jerusalem. That's where God established the temple. That's where the place of worship was. But I want you to notice up in uh, the northern kingdom, there are kind of two capitals. Shechem, which is the official capital. But I want you to notice as far as you can go north, as far away from Jerusalem as you get, do you know what Jeroboam did? He established a second alternate place of worship. And I want you to see it here in this next sign. Notice this. A sign of your kingdom about to crumble is your family doesn't want anything to do with you or your God. That's a hard thing to say. That's exactly what happened in this story. Skip over to verse 27. Jeroboam is talking. He is trying to gather his northern kingdom together, and this is what he says. If this people go up to offer sacrifices in the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of the people will turn again to their Lord. You know what he's saying? Everybody in Israel was required to go to Jerusalem once a year to worship. And Jeroboam says, if that happens, their heart is always going to be loyal to Rehoboam. So we can't let that happen. So you know what he does? He prevents them from going to the place of worship. He sets up a second alternate temple. And it says at the end of verse 27, King Rehoboam of Judah, and they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So the king took counsel and made two calves of gold. What were they supposed to offer as sacrifices in Jerusalem? Lambs. Remember that? And yet, what does he choose to make the sacrifices in the substitute temple? 
bulls, calves, the equivalent of a McDonald's Happy Meal. And he sets up this alternate place of worship, an alternate sacrifice, an alternate substitute. And he says to the people, you have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold, your gods. He's pointing at the Happy Meals. These are your gods with little G's. Oh, Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt? It wasn't that God they talk about in Jerusalem. I mean, he's a fine God if you want to be a part of the southern kingdom. But now that we're part of the northern kingdom, we have our own gods. And we're going to say these gods are just as good as those gods. And he dilutes the whole worship narrative. Why? Because he doesn't want anything to do with his former family. Why? Because he's been hurt. Because he has been embittered. And because he wants to maintain control. Does that sound like any family you know of? Is that the narrative in your family? Sadly, so often we've been hurt, we've been embittered, and we not only want nothing to do with that family member, we want nothing to do with that family member's God. There's a whole generation that's been lost because they've watched their parents go through the motions of religion And yet those parents didn't love and lead those children in a way that honored God and endeared their fellowship. And if you want to be the kind of parents that point to a God that your children actually love, you have to model it. You have to humble yourself. You have to admit when you're wrong. And you have to do things for the purpose of maintaining unity, not just maintaining control. Here's the last sign. And this is good news. That was heavy. Here's good news. Oh, by the way, I wanted to show you this place. I took this picture. This is in Israel. Do you remember when I told you about Dan? Oh, I didn't read the rest of the verse. That's why I didn't get the picture. Look here at verse 29. Verse 29. Where'd all this happen? Where'd all this worship happen? And he set one in Bethel and the other he put in Dan. This thing became a sin for the people as far as Dan to go before the one. So there's actually this geographical place called Dan. It was actually named after one of the 12 tribes of Israel, one of the 10 tribes that broke off in the northern kingdom. And we went to this place. And when we got to this place, Israel became 3D. Bible became 3D for me. And part of the reason is our tour guide, whose name was Pilar, she was a wonderful Jewish converted Messianic Jew. She loved Jesus, but she knew the stories of her people, the Hebrew people and the Old Testament people. And when we got to this site and she's telling us what took place at this site that had been dug up and uncovered, what what I was looking at is what Jeroboam built in Dan as the place of alternate worship. This is where they brought those bulls and they sacrificed them to their foreign gods and it became a place of idolatry and as Pilar was telling this story even though she told it a hundred times she was moved in her emotion I'll never forget she said this is the place where it all began to unravel And the kingdom became divided and you crested the hill and it is all a spiral out of control through the rest of the Old Testament. And you know what I thought? I thought, who's Jeroboam? 
What story is this? Why don't I know this story? Why am I not moved like you're moved? And so I had to come back. I had to dig into all of this. And when I did, I began to hate man-made religion and idol worship more than I ever had before. And that is the cornerstone of the whole epic series is when she was showing me this. I said, I, I got to bring this. Do you even know this story? I've never even heard a sermon preached on these passages before. We have got to make sure that we don't allow our kingdoms to crumble. But by doing the dumb stuff that the wisest man on the planet did at the time, we've got to protect the place of worship. We can't allow our hearts to become divided so the kingdom won't become divided. And this cannot happen to the people that worship Christ and Christ alone. Here's the last sign. Your kingdom is about to crumble. You're ready to serve a better king. Aren't you disgusted with King Solomon at this point? Aren't you disgusted with Rehoboam and Jeroboam? And it's like, why can't we have a better king? That's exactly the reason this story is in the Old Testament. You read through this stuff and you say, why can't they get it right? And that's what you should be longing for. A true and better king. I want you to look, go back one chapter, chapter 11, and I want you to look at a little phrase found in verse 39. God told them, If they worshiped other gods, the kingdom would be divided. The kingdom would crumble. And this is where he says it in verse 39. And I will afflict the offspring of David because of this. But then look at the last little phrase. But not forever. There's this little hint that something good is going to come out of this. There's going to be a point where God's kingdom will be reestablished. You see, when Rehoboam and Jeroboam did this, they invited the judgment of God. And do you know what happened? About 150 years after this, the Assyrians invaded the northern kingdom of Jeroboam. And in the year 722 before Christ, 722 years before Christ, the northern kingdom was destroyed as an act of God's judgment by the Assyrians. About 150 years after that, the Babylonians attacked the southern kingdom and destroyed it, took captive the exiles into Babylon and destroyed the southern kingdom. There was a little mini revival, which we're going to get to in a couple of weeks. But for the most part, the whole kingdom fell apart. The kingdom crumbled. And then for 400 years, from the end of the Old Testament to the beginning of the New Testament, there is absolute silence. There is no sign of genuine, heartfelt worship going on in Israel. And then we open the pages of the New Testament. We get to one of the first books, the Gospel of Mark, which is a biography of Jesus. And in the Gospel of Mark, the first recorded words of King Jesus are these. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, because I am here, the kingdom is here. Because, fellas, I'm the true and better king. 
You don't have to keep trusting in the Solomons and the Davids and the Rehoboams and the Jeroboams that never seem to get it right, that always have their hearts divided, that love other loves and worship other gods. Jesus is here and he says, guys, you've got a choice. You have to respond to this kingdom. And here's your response. Repent. Repent of your idol worship. Repent of loving other loves and believe the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ is this. Not only is Jesus the true and the better king, he's the true and the better sacrifice. He's the only thing that will satisfy your heart. He's the only thing that will fill the hole in your heart. He is satisfying. He is beautiful. Worship him and him alone. That's what Jesus said. And we go all the way through the New Testament till we get to the last pages of our Bibles. And do you know what we read? There was an angel in heaven one day that was announcing this. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. Jesus is king. My question to you is this. How's your kingdom doing? Are you ready to admit your kingdom is crumbling? That you love other loves, that you worship other gods, that you are prone to idolatry and you need a better king than yourself. Why don't you bring yourself and put yourself under the lordship and kingship of Jesus Christ, making sure you walk out of here knowing that you are a citizen of the kingdom of Christ. Do you know it? Do you know it? Here's one of my burdens for you. So many of you come, you love coming to this place, you take the notes, you sing the songs, and you feel better walking out of here, but you are not absolutely certain that if you died right now, you would be with Christ in his kingdom. You hope so. You feel like I, I've done, I'm trying to do everything I can. Listen, it is not about everything you can do, it's everything that he has done. Yeah. Have you surrendered to Jesus Christ as king? And listen, publicly declared that in baptism. We can baptize you if you're willing to admit, my kingdom's not working, I'm tired of being king, I'm choosing Jesus as king, I want the world to know it, baptize me right now as a follower of Jesus Christ. Have you done that? If you've not done that, it doesn't matter how many times you cycle in and out of this place, it does no good unless you repent and believe the gospel, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What's your response? I want you to bow your heads. Close your eyes. If you've never received Christ by faith, if you've never surrendered your life to King Jesus, would you do that right now in your heart of hearts? All you have to do is to admit, Father, I have loved other loves. I have tried to fill the hole in my heart with sinful things. And all that's gotten me is a crumbling kingdom. And I am ready to surrender to your kingship in my life. And I want the world to know it. Give me the courage to publicly declare you as king, to never be ashamed of you. If you pray to turn over your crumbling kingdom to your new King Jesus, we'd love to know. You can contact us through our website, mygospelcity.org. 
That's also where you can find more information about visiting for a worship service. Just go to mygospelcity.org and click where you see I'm new here. There's details about service times and where we meet. Again, that's mygospelcity.org. And be sure to follow us on Facebook by searching for Gospel City Church. Well, I've got a question for you. Imagine you've been imprisoned and you're finally set free. Where's the first place you'd go? That's right, you'd go home. Next week on Resonate, we'll hear about a group of people in the Old Testament who did exactly that. Well, thanks for listening today. I'm Aaron Paulus, and my prayer is that God's Word would resonate in your united heart this week. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a radio and podcast ministry of Gospel City Church. Visit us online at mygospelcity.org.